The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Support for John Taffer No Excuses comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home for a second. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credits to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you search for your new home, Then once you've found a one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep the new lower rate. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Here we are, another episode of No Excuses, and again... I'm here in Las Vegas, and what's great is, Casey, you're with me, buddy. I'm normally, here. Normally, we do this remote. You're in L.A. at the Podcast One Studios. Yeah. I'm here in my Las Vegas studio, or sometimes I get to be with you. Mm-hmm, in Beverly Hills. But this is the first time you've ever been here with me. John, the studio is amazing. It's amazing. It's great. I just, and, and I found out, uh, your wife said that you did all this yourself. I did. I did the wiring. I'm an old nightclub guy, man. So <laughs> I know my way around a mixing board, microphones. The video throws me a little mm-hmm. because we didn't put that in, in, in my nightclubs when we ran them. But uh, the audio stuff, piece of cake, buddy. So, so you were on a ladder doing all that? You hung the lights, all this? Oh, I hung the lights. I hung the speakers. I pulled all the wires. I specced my own board here, uh, 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 my microphones, uh, all my recording, my computer equipment. I have my computers that link to you in the podcast one studios. I have all my systems to send you audio files. I'm ready to rock here this man great. this is awesome and the best part of it is we're in las vegas yeah yeah uh, the capital of entertainment so having my studio here means i can bring more guests right when people come in and out of town and it's a great location uh, uh for me to do a great podcast and we got a good one this week so uh, uh next week we're rebroadcasting operation puerto rico the bar rescue episode yeah which was the the dearest and nearest to me and we're rebroadcasting it because it's the year anniversary of Hurricane Marie in Puerto Rico. And now the storm's already whipping through again. And Yes, so it's amazingly poignant right now as people in North and South Carolina are suffering. Yeah. You know, to remember that, that Puerto Rico's suffering uh, 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 and people are suffering right now. Yeah. And, and we need to be mindful when people get damaged and it's not their own doing. You know, I, I'm of the believer if, if, if you make a mistake, Casey, you should be accountable for the mistakes you make. But weather's not a mistake. No. And you can do everything right in life and can get completely screwed by Mother Nature. 
And that's what happened in Puerto Rico. That's what's happening now in North and South Carolina. It's a bummer. So because it's a year away from Hurricane Maria, I have Victor and Janet from El Carabo Bar yeah. in Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not spoken to them since I gave them a hug, got in my SUV, and left. Janet, Victor, hello. Great. My buddies in Puerto Rico. Boy, it's wonderful to hear your voices. I love you both yeah. so much. And thank you. We do too. We love you so much. And, yeah. and you know, people don't realize when we go through an experience like that together, there is a lot of personal time. And we spend a lot of time looking in each other's eyes and getting to know each other, not as a television host or as television people, but as human beings. And I truly love you both and, and I feel like we're family. Yes, yeah, we are. We're still the same for, for you. Yeah. Yes, we are. You guys are our angels. You guys are our friends. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll be friends for life for sure. So what was it like? I'd love my audience to hear your perspective of the experience. First of all, what was it like knowing that I was coming and before I got there? Were you nervous? Uh, 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 uh. Tell everybody how you felt. Yeah. We felt, we felt great, really, uh, uh, talking to you again and... Uh, and we feel very grateful for everything that you did for us, John. Uh, really. Uh, so before you got here and uh, the expe- expectation of you coming uh, to, to to us, to Puerto Rico, to help us, yes, it, we were nervous. We were nervous. We were like, we didn't know what to expect, what you were going to do, or how you were going to look at the situation. Even though we knew that it was something different, that uh, you were coming here to help us out. It was a different uh, situation, but uh, but yes, we we were not expecting to um, um, to have an angel like that. Aww. We were not. So did you expect <laughs> did you expect us to have the kind of relationship that we developed? And we didn't, God, really. we didn't know, but I think it I think it has to do with with culture and 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 uh, like you. Uh, being part of the story that you told us about, you know, you grew up somehow, some years in Puerto Rico and everything that happened to you. And it's what brings people to, wow, well, we have the same blood. And and it was special. It was was really special for you to spend all that time with us. I'll tell you, there were a couple of things that really impacted me. First of all, the kids really got to me on the street. And that one young man who gave me the plaque, Kendall, really got to me. It was very touching to see the families uh, and still the suffering down there. And today, North Carolina and South Carolina, of course, are are going through what you just went through. So, you know, this is a good time to talk about this. And and you were locked in your house for two weeks. You couldn't get out. That is correct. And something something happened when I was down there that was really powerful to me. First of all, when I drove through the island on my way to see you, all the destroyed buildings had American flags on them. And there were far more American flags than there were Puerto Rican flags. And I didn't realize how much Puerto Ricans identified themselves as Americans until I saw all those flags. That really got to me, uh, uh, Janet. And the other thing that, that really really got to me what was the impact on family. And after we built the basketball court off camera, a couple of the kids came up to me and they said, thank you for remembering us. And you didn't forget us. And 
that to me was the most powerful thing is how can we forget people? You, who was sitting in your house for two weeks and suffering to that level. And uh, uh, people don't know the logistic nightmare. So we came down with about 55 people. You know that. We had 55 hotel rooms going, trucks, equipment. We had to get everything down there. I had to call my friends at Spirit Airlines to fly us down, Home Depot to give us the building materials. It was a nightmare. What did you think when you saw the episode? Because that must have been a, a heck of an experience to sit back and watch it. It, it was. And then... Uh, Tell uh, tell uh, John what happened to me. I started crying. Yes, you started crying again, again, <laughs> uh, just uh, watching the, the episode. Uh, we we have all all the employees and 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 people from the community and everyone uh, was in uh, in uh, Carajo Beach Park and we were watching the the episode together and uh, everybody was really really packed. Uh, for for the work that you have done, and I was in, in shock. I was actually in shock when I saw it because I didn't remember anything, and, and it was so truthful that you know, in my heart, I looking at myself, and I said, I don't even remember. I don't yeah. even remember nothing. It brought yeah. you back to the emotion of the episode, and, and so so it was such a roller coaster ride when I was there that you didn't even remember some of it. It's funny. I want to tell you something that that was really powerful to me. The most powerful moment I've ever had in Bar Rescue was with the two of you, and it was the moment at, at the end, Victor, when I handed you and Janet the check for twelve thousand dollars. That was my greatest moment ever in Bar Rescue when the three of us hugged and stood there for that moment. That was yeah. something special, wasn't it? That was really special. Yes. That was just, um, we didn't know how to, the gratitude right there was, um, it's like your heart goes yeah. to your heart. <laughs> all my life, we will be all, all our life in uh in debt. In debt with no, you, you, you don't owe me anything. The pleasure to be able to do this. <laughs> yeah. And your smiles and is, we, is all I want. We need you to know that this is, this is so important that we need you to know we're not going to let you down. Oh. We listen to all your, we watch and listen to all your videos. We have learned so much. Yeah, I read your book and, uh, wow. and uh, it's so inspired, really. And, uh, I think that, that not only the episode, just knowing you uh, supports a lot, a lot to our persons and to, and to our life. Mm-hmm. Ah, thank you. You have given us that power, that power to be successful. You are a great motivation for us. Yeah. Ah, thank yes, you. you Let me tell you a story you both don't know. When we were sitting at the table together at the Bacardi distillery, and the house came up. And remember, we were sitting at the table, and I said to you, you know, could they put papers on the door? You said yes. I said, how are you going to sleep every night, worried about losing the house? Remember when we were sitting at the table and we had that conversation? What you yeah. don't what you don't know is we didn't know about that $12,000. That wasn't in our budget. That wasn't in our plans at all. After that conversation, I walked over right in that Bacardi building there, and I pulled my producers, and the network was there. And I said, there's no way in the world we're going to remodel this bar and have them lose their house. We have to give them the $12,000. So we found the money uh, in our budget, and we moved some things around, 
And none of that was ever thought of or was ever planned or ever thought it would happen until we sat together at Bacardi that day and, and I saw the pain that the two of you were going through. So that's a very special moment for me because that, that was something that wasn't planned on doing. So now I want to hear what everybody wants to know. How are you doing? How's the bar doing? Oh, the bar is doing great, really great. We we have a pack uh, of people coming back coming over back and over and over, and over again. Over. Again, I have to repeat this. We have listened to and read and reading um, about everything that uh, that you tell people how to be successful in a business, and um, and we watch and we look at everything, and we said so. Uh, now it's different with another touch. After you guys left and, 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 and everything was so, so beautiful put, and uh, then we said we need to work hard. We need to work hard. And now we have powerful drinks. We have great food. Um, we have excellent service. Um, we want to create that, that, that impact on people for them to be able to say, I'm coming back. Wow. coming back and I think it's happening in a matter of a few months because it was the 22nd of April when um, when you guys were there was the last day that we saw you going uh, out and you said goodbye and mm-hmm. it was sad and it's like your heart your yeah. heart just go like yeah. somebody's blowing my heart and you just come back again you know because oh what are we doing now like we're kids you're successful because of your pride you are two of the proudest people I've ever met And I so wanted to rescue you because of that pride that you have. When people are as proud as you are and have worked as hard as you are and then lose the source of that pride, that is is a terrible injustice that life does to us that we can't help. That's Mother Nature. And your pride was so evident from the moment I met you both. I had to give you something that you would be proud of. The most important thing to me was to give you your pride back, your dignity back. This was a lot of fun. I'm so glad you two are are, are doing well. I love you both. Send my regards to the family and to all the employees. And I look forward to seeing you in January. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Send my regards to the the producers like Black and uh, Jason and all of them. A great, really great, great person. To all our friends in Bar Rescue, we uh, love you. We love, we love you, you so much. We, we love will. You, John. And, and what you don't know, and, and I'll tell the audience this, is Victor and Janet sent us a beautiful email letter a few weeks after we were there. And I want you both to know that the entire crew passed that letter around. Everybody read it, and you made us all cry. That letter meant the world to us. Uh, uh, so thank you. There are so many bar rescue owners that are not appreciative when we leave. It's wonderful, you know, to do good for people like yourselves who are so appreciative and have so much pride. So I love you both. I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay. Thank, thank you, John. Thank you, John. What a thrill. I love them. You know, people don't realize how intense the weeks that I spent there was and the depth of a personal relationship that's created with them. I can't tell you how good I feel to know that that, that they're doing well down there. Boy, do they deserve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been through a lot. You really helped them out a lot. Yeah, it means a lot to me too, buddy. So I travel on the road all the time. And I make a lot of friends. And one of my friends is Andy Williams, who runs a company in Denver, Colorado called Medicine Man Technologies, who's one of the greatest cannabis producers, manufacturers, and dispensary companies in America. An incredible operation. And I toured his business, and it blew me away. 
And it's such a fascinating industry because it's so new Mm -hmm. and it's so politically controversial still. Uh, And as one who grew up in the 60s, I still find it amazing (laughs) that you can walk into a store and and there's shelves (laughs) uh, of pot everywhere. So so I really thought it'd be fascinating to have a deep business discussion with Andy Williams about Medicine Man and what's going on in the cannabis industry and how he got going in it. So Andy is my guest this week. How relaxed were you when you came out of that place? (laughs) So it was amazing. I stood in in a room that, that, and I'll post a picture of it online for everybody. I stood in a room that they called the Green Mile. Oh, wow. And it's a huge growing warehouse. And it's green as far as the eye can see. And you stand in the green mile in this building. It's so impressive. His people are wearing white coats. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's pharmaceutical. And they treat it that way. It's a million-dollar water processing system. And the genetics and the sanitation of the soil and the blue wave lighting versus the yellow wave lighting. And, and it's an incredible science. And nobody's taken it to a higher level than Andy. So this is going to be a cool interview today. So. All right, let's talk a little about what's going on out there. You ready, buddy? Ready. So, you know, I travel a lot on the road, and we always shoot on the road, and sometimes we wind up shooting in neighborhoods, particularly when I go to bar rescue owners' homes and things. So, you know, we have three trucks and production vehicles and lighting and generators and all of this stuff that we bring into a neighborhood, and candidly, sometimes the neighbors just don't like it. I bet. And, and you know, <laughs> we, we think that we're promoting their neighborhood and we're bringing money to the economy and we have 50 or 60 hotel rooms going a night. So we look at it as a positive thing. But candidly, if I was across the street from a production of my neighborhood, I would not be happy about it. When the trash truck comes into my neighborhood, it drives me crazy. I can only imagine three production trailers coming into town. It would just drive me crazy. And they're sitting there for three, four days, yeah. maybe four or five no. days. Well, so HGTV bought the original Brady house, the original Brady house from the episode. Now, when they shot the Brady bunch, this house was only used in the exteriors. It wasn't used in the interiors. So HGTV bought the house, and now they have a production company by the name of Longo Production Company, Lando Production Company, and they're producing a television show uh, uh, of remodeling it, and they're taking the inside of the house, and they're going to make it the exact set from the sound stage at, I believe, Paramount. So the inside of the house has nothing to do with what was on TV. So they're going to bring in all their production vehicles. They're going to rip this house apart. They're going to make it look like the Brady set on the inside. They're going to shoot this for weeks while they do it. So this poor neighborhood is stuck with production trucks, not for days or hours, buddy. (laughs) For weeks. For weeks. And then I wonder, because the article doesn't say this, after they build this house and it looks just like the Brady house, what the hell are they going to do with it? That was my question. What are they doing with it? So if they're going to be producing shows in it, then those trucks aren't leaving. Yeah. And I don't believe that a film studio can get a license to shoot for such a long period of time. So they can't turn that house into a studio. That won't be allowed. It's a residential neighborhood. But you can take a home and make it a set for a period of time. Oh. So it's interesting to watch what happens, but I wonder how you guys would feel if uh, uh, the production trucks all pulled up in front of your house. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy at all. I'd definitely get off my lawn for sure. (laughs) With a 5 a.m. start time. Yes, yeah. All right, Casey. So let's say you have a friend you haven't seen him in uh, 10 years. Got a few of those. Yep, good buddy. You love him, right? Yeah. Or her, either way. And you see him, son of a gun, this guy gained like 100 pounds. And he's, he's a fat dude. Got a couple of those, too. 
So you see him? Do you look at him and say, John, you look freaking awesome, buddy? Or are you honest with him? Do you tell him, man, what happened, bro? You got fat. What do you say? You know what? For me and my friends, I probably lie. <laughs> you probably lie. <laughs> I lie, yeah. So you tell him that, that he looks great. You look great. That. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, I think that's the fault of Facebook. Because mm-hmm. years ago before social media, I could be honest with you. You could say, buddy, you put on a few pounds, isn't it? Now, when you post a picture on Facebook, nobody can say that stuff to you because it's a permanent record of everything. So what happens is everybody's saying, hey, you look great. You look great. Every time you post a picture, now you come see me. I say you look like shit. That doesn't work anymore because everybody. So we're all in a box now because of social media and political correctness. So I ask you a question. And if you want to talk to me about it, send me an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. Are you honest with your friends? And have you been placed in a position where, where, where you know, you're, you're awkward, you're even disliked, but you were honest? And did the honesty pay off for you in the end or not? If anybody wants to talk about that, send a note to podcast at johntaffer.com, and we'll talk about that next you, week. You know, my, my wife is brutally honest, and her friends just gravitate toward her. The more honest she is, the more friends she gets. I don't understand it. Well, it works for me on television. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, people appreciate my honesty. I think they appreciate it in some cases because they can't do it. And that's unfortunate because years ago, Casey, relationships were such that we could be honest with each other. There was a certain real truthfulness and an honesty to a friendship back then. Mm -hmm. Even an initial relationship started with a basis of honesty. Today, we bullshit each other right from the get-go. Yeah, we do. I tell you, you're greater than I think you are. You're more handsome than I think you are. You know, that's what. So, you know, it starts with bullshit today. And I think in the end, our relationships just aren't as good. Okay, Emmys are this week, buddy. And uh, I know you've been waiting on pins and needles to hear it, KC, but nope, I am not nominated. When is it going to happen, John? And Bar Rescue is not nominated. You know, look, I, I honestly don't ever expect to be. And, and uh, on the other hand, I've done uh, over 200 episodes of TV in Bar Rescue in its eighth year. Has the same ratings we had last year and the year before, and the ratings hold. So I hope one day to get the respect of the industry. And, and, and you know, I'm not sure I would ever expect a nomination yeah. or an Emmy. But uh, uh, I'd like to think that one day I'd get some kind of a yeah, recognition. Yeah. You know, what, for, what do your peers say about you when, you when you out in the TV world? I know the radio world. What about TV? What do they say about John Taffer and uh, your show, Bar Rescue? You know, it was interesting. I was with my network on uh, Wednesday of last week. So I flew to L.A., met with my networkers. We have a new show that we're working on that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. And don't worry, folks, Bar Rescue isn't going away. This is a second show that I'd be doing on Paramount that we're working on together now. And I learned that another network called Paramount to get some information because they're doing a research project on Bar Rescue, a competitive network. And they're trying to determine why Bar Rescue has been on TV for so long and why Bar Rescue is so successful. And what they find interesting is the fact that Bar Rescue is on TV about 30 hours a week and it rates every one of those hours. So the rescue marathons are really successful. Yeah. That's why they're on. Yeah. Remember, it's Paramount. They could run a movie if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, they could. They got a lot okay. of movies, but they choose to run. So Bar Rescue is somewhat of a television phenomenon in its evergreen nature because it airs and airs and airs. So one network was trying to do research on the show to figure out what are the dynamics of Bar Rescue that has made it last so long. And I'm sure there's a lot of things. You know, the format of the show, I'm sure I have a little bit to do with it as a host, of course. Uh, uh, so I said to the to my buddies at Paramount, I said, so, so Chaz, uh, what do they say? He goes, 
shit, they're not going to show us the report. <laughs> so, so another network did this research. Yeah. So obviously there, there is some recognition within the television industry for it. And, you know, I'm one of a few people who have made it past 200. It's interesting when we look at the nominees this year. Game of Thrones returned this year with a stunning 22 nominations. Show so good. So which good. is incredible. Another HBO drama, Westworld, followed with, behind with 21 nominations. That's a good show. 43 nominations for HBO with just two shows. And last year's big winner, Hulu. And, you know, sometimes I, what should I watch? What should I watch? And you don't hear about the shows on Hulu and Amazon Prime yeah. and, and Netflix as much as you should because you don't see them advertised on other channels like you do cable television or regular television. So th there's a Hulu show called Handmaid's Tale, which drew 20 nominations this year. So if somebody's looking for a new show to watch, I would check that one out. The Crown which is a Netflix original drama, and FX's spy thriller, The Americans. you ever watch The Americans? No, I started, didn't finish. Yeah, yeah it's the Russians. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's an interesting concept. Did really well. Stranger Things, which is uh, 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 one of uh, my favorites. Yeah, you yeah, like that show? I love that show, yeah. And uh, uh, NBC's tear-jerking family drama, This Is Us. On a comedy side, Saturday Night Live, again, 21 nominations. The show Atlanta got 16, and the marvelous Mrs. Mizell got 14. SNL was going away, too. There was a period it was disappearing, and then with the new political climate, it just came back. Yeah, Warren Michaels is the man in New York, boy. I'll tell you, uh, uh, every once in a while I get to go to a, a game at Yankee Stadium, and I'll pull network seats. And uh, uh, last season I got to go to a Yankee game with the president of my network, and we used Warren Michaels seats which were literally right behind home plate, first first row, the best seats at all of Yankee Stadium are his. So this is a dude who's got some pull in New York, for sure. I guess 20-some-odd uh, years of Saturday Night Live will do that for you. Here's what's interesting. Netflix nudged past HBO to top nominations for the first time ever. Netflix got 112 nominations. HBO only got 108. That's big news. It is. The other interesting thing is diversity is way at the top. So shows that have uh, minorities in uh, in numerous roles or in production roles, like Atlanta, Blackish, This Is Us, and Westworld, are receiving a lot of recognition, Good. which is nice because yeah. you know I think that that, that uh, 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 through diversification, footprints get bigger, influence gets bigger, yeah. and obviously television shows get bigger too. What are you watching right now? What's your show? Well, I got a few shows that I like. If anybody has one, this is total taffer, so I could see why everybody. <laughs> so I see why he likes the show. The show Succession. On HBO is a new show. It's a killer show. They just finished a new season. I love that show. Ozark, I love. Ozark is a great now, show. The second season yes, just came out. Just Nicole started. and I watched it, uh, uh, all 10 episodes, I think, in two days. I'm so, on episode so, three of season two. So we slam that baby, you know, four episodes a day. Ozark is great. I love Ray Donovan. What show is that? I don't know that. Ray Donovan is a Showtime show where Ray is a Hollywood private eye fixer, so to speak. So, so if you wake up in the morning with a 12-year-old girl and, and 10 pounds of heroin in your room, Ray Donovan's the guy you call, right? <laughs> so, so, so it's that guy. But it's a really well-produced and great show. I must say, I'm still hanging in there on Walking Dead, even though I'm starting to fade. What are they on? Season 25? Yes, or? whatever it is. But, you know, I just, you know, how many people can they fight? You know, it's unbelievable <laughs> how many times they can uh, recycle the same episode plot through yeah. and just change your faces. But you're still participants. watching. Uh, I'm watching because I want to see where they go. Oh. So so it's a little frustration. Uh, show, uh, on Showtime, of course, Shameless, mm -hmm. and I did a webisode 
with Shameless last year. And if uh, uh, anybody hasn't seen it, you can Google it or find it on YouTube. But if, if you Google Shameless Taffer, I'm guessing it'll come up. But I did a webisode with the Shameless team last year where I tried to rescue the alibi. And they premiered this week. And, of course, I'm a Shameless lover as well. Anyway, what's interesting this year is Michael Shea and Colin Jost are going to co-host the Emmys. And they've taken over from Stephen Colbert, who did it last year. It's interesting that the big main celebrity host isn't doing that anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting that it's being produced by Lauren Michaels. His writers are writing it, he's producing it, and his guys are hosting it. So this is a family affair, I'm guessing. It could be fun. It should be fun. So uh, (laughs) Buffalo Bills, (laughs) did you see this? So Buffalo Bills quarterback sucked. (laughs) I mean sucked on Sunday's game. So Mr. Davis came off the field at halftime and retired. Now, I'm reading the articles. I'm looking on news. I'm reading everything. He retired. Wait a second. When you retire, you make an announcement. When you walk off the field in the middle of a game, you fucking quit. (laughs) You quit. You walked out on your teammates. You walked out on your fans. You let everybody down. And then you didn't even give them the dignity of finishing it correctly. So you quit in the middle of a game. You call it a retirement and you walk off. I think that's about as dishonest with oneself as they could possibly be. And disrespectful. To your teammates, to the fans, to the team. You finished that freaking game. And it's unfortunate and uh, a little blemish, I think, on his career, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I don't see him coming back anytime soon. (laughs) No. (laughs) If he came up and said, hey, KC, I want to be a business partner, man. Are you in with him? No. Man's a quitter. (laughs) He's a quitter. He's a quitter. So, So, you know. Uh, 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 Davis, the quitter. Have people quit on you before? Just walked out and said, I'm out. John, I'm over this. Years ago, I opened one of my first bars that I ever opened in Florida in a place called Fort Myers. And I had a gentleman working for me whose name was Norman. Maybe Norman's listening. And you'll know who you are, Norman, when I tell the story if you are. But I won't say your last name. And Norman, I moved him down to Florida. I built this bar for him. He had worked in my offices. But then my offices were in Chicago. We owned a bunch of bars. We managed them from those offices. So I relocate Norman down to Florida, put him in the bar, and he's building it, and he's getting it ready to open. And you know now the product is coming in, and it's about four days before opening. And he calls me, won't even see me, and says, I can't do this. It's too much for me and left. Just walked out. Just walked out. So I wound up opening the place about three weeks later. It was, it was, uh, but I, I, I always felt that there was not a chance that he couldn't do it. So, so, and then I never heard from him again. He worked for me for very many, many years. And somehow, I guess he had an obstacle or some pressure upon him that he felt he couldn't succeed. And rather than trying, he gave up. And fear is one of the excuses in my book. Don't yeah. BS yourself. Yeah. It'll get to you. Yeah. A- and fear is one of the biggest paralyzers in our life. You know, you could say, John, you know, I, 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 I was scared to become a producer. You know, your first time sitting behind a board, your first time around a gear, a little nerve wracking. Yeah, absolutely. But you overcame the fear. And, and, you know, any of us that are scared of doing something, uh, remember, millions of other people have already done it. They've gotten past it. So you can too. Fear is one of the biggest BS excuses there are. Now, obviously, you don't jump off a cliff, buddy. But but you know, certain fears are real. But you know, the fear of failing, nah, 
and you that's how you learn yeah you know uh, the fear of not going to visit somewhere the fear of moving uh, uh, to another city and starting a new life all of those things matter you know i've always mesmerized by new businesses and and uh, you know when silicon valley popped up and today i'm mesmerized by the fact that you could create a company to make t-shirts kc and never walk into a store you could put it online and you could sell millions of t-shirts and there are sock companies that are doing it online yeah. and sheets companies that are doing it online yeah. and so you don't need to buy the big inventories you don't no, need you to don't. wrench the big all you need is a great idea yeah. and a good way to market yeah. today so i'm mesmerized by these new business opportunities so i travel around the country and i study them and cannabis when it took off became fascinating to me so i went to colorado I toured all the cannabis facilities. I went to the state of Washington, toured all the facilities. Here in Nevada, I've toured facilities, and in California, I've toured facilities. I've learned what the differences are and the laws between the states, and I've looked at this industry because I'm in a spirits business. So, you know, a, a spirits to me is not very different than cannabis if used in a moderate yeah. and respectful sense. It's not going to destroy our society. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes alcohol has a more physiological effect upon you. I so, can feel that. So, yep. So, of yeah. course, I mean, it, it tends to kick your butt a little yeah. more, if you will. So, so I'm mesmerized by it. So I've gone and I've studied cultivation facilities. I've seen good ones, bad ones, scientific ones. I've seen the hippie ones, you know, the grow dudes from, from Marin County. And then I've gone into the manufacturing facilities where they make the oils and the waxes and God knows all the other products that they make, the candies and the edibles and all those products, which is another license. So growing is one license, manufacturing is another license, and then selling is another license again. So some people can sell and you buy product from somebody else. Some people can manufacture it and they don't sell it. They just sell it to other people. And it's set up very much like the alcohol businesses now. You have the producer, the distributor. And the seller. So in all of my travels, I have never seen a company like Medicine Man Technologies in Denver. It just blew me away. They spent millions of dollars building a facility. They wear white coats, buddy. You know, the, the color spectrum of the light changes at the different ages of the plants and, and the curing process, which runs seven to eight weeks, and, and the cultivation process, and then the packaging process, and the fact that they package these little flowers in nitrogen, not even oxygen anymore. So there's no oxygenation or no erosion of the product or, 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 or a, a, a breakdown of the product. It blew me away, and I realized, okay, this isn't a bunch of stoned out dudes growing pots in a corner yeah. with a light. This is serious yeah. stuff. Yeah. And the water has to be flawless. The nutrients must be the same. The genetics of the seeds, the, the cloning, the light process, the amount of light. This is serious, serious stuff. Well, nobody takes it more seriously than, than Medicine Man. So I struck up a great friendship with the owner, Andy Williams. And Andy runs the business. And what's fascinating about Medicine Man to me is his mother is the CFO. His cousins all work in it. This is a family, family business. business that does millions and millions of dollars a year with cannabis dispensaries in Colorado. Another thing that I found interesting, and I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, is that when you go into one of these stores, they check your ID. And one of the stores, uh, uh, not Medicine Man, another store that I went to and studied, over 70% of their business was from people out of state. So they were flying into Colorado driving over there from the airport, getting whatever the heck they wanted to buy with their out-of-state license. Yeah. Going home. Going home. 
So you think about the kind of income that Colorado is making out of this, and you wonder. In any event, so I believe that cannabis is going to become the fourth leg of the spirits business. Spirits, beer, wine, cannabis. cannabis. I believe it's going to start getting infused into liquor mixers. I believe now people are starting to brew beer from cannabis. Mm -hmm. They're looking at cannabis-infused products, and at some point these things will be approved, and it's just going to become a way of life just like alcohol is. Well, I'm really excited because I invited Andy Williams to talk to us today, buddy, and he's not only a good friend for a number of years, but anybody who's interested in how to get involved in an emerging business, any emerging business, you know how to get millions of dollars to grow a business how to take a company public he took his cannabis company public it's a publicly traded company will really benefit from my talk with andy so i can't wait to start talking to him and we'll be right back don't shut down this podcast yet no excuses with john taffer continues next want to talk to john Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Boy, male health is so important. And for me, I actually go to forhims.com. And it's an amazing place for, for uh, uh, men's wellness, hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness. And uh, it, it makes a difference. And as we get older, we all have those moments where we lack that confidence. You know what I mean, Casey? I know exactly what you mean, John. So over 25% of new ED cases are under 40, buddy. You're under 40, aren't you? I actually just turned 40, which means uh, I've been there, though. So you are susceptible. <laughs> we all have those moments. Yeah, we do. And 40% of men by age 40 struggle with not being able to get or maintain that tool that we need. That drive. To, to really, yeah, make ourselves and our partners feel good. But uh, com has the solutions. And what's amazing is, you know, you normally go to a doctor. Okay. You'll wait in a waiting room. You'll pay 100 bucks. You'll get a prescription. You'll go to the drugstore. You'll get a medication that solves the problem. With ForHims.com, they have a deal for five bucks. You can get a 30-day membership. You can deal with the doctor online, no waiting, no leaving your house, and it's only $5 rather than hundreds of dollars. It connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions. We're not talking uh, uh, snake oils and those kind of things. We're talking the real stuff. They answer questions, and it's an awesome website. If nobody's checked it out, you got to check out ForHims.com. And this month, today, you can join for just $5 for an entire month. We'll get you started for only 5 bucks while supplies last. Check out the website if you haven't. It's really, really cool. Go to forhims.com slash Taffer5. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash Taffer5. Forhims.com slash Taffer5. I'm always hanging out in the app store. I'm always looking for the next best thing. And Square has a payroll app now. And for me, it really solves a big problem because I travel 45 weeks a year, but I still have to manage my payroll. And the Square payroll app does it for me. Anything anybody can do on a desktop, I can do on my mobile device. It's fully integrated with Square payments and time cards. It even has automatic tip reporting. And Square system takes care of your tax withholdings, payments, and filings at no extra cost. It has flexible and transparent pricing that scales with your business. It's 29 bucks a month plus $5 per employee per month. It's really a great deal. So search Square Payroll in the Apple iTunes or Google Play app stores to download the app or visit square.com slash go slash Taffer to learn more. Download this app. It's really cool. Check it out. I think you're going to find it's perfect for you. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. So this is a family business. Um, and all... 
of my siblings are entrepreneurs. And, and I think that comes from uh, being raised by a single mother and, and having to take care of ourselves a lot or my sister, you know, really taking care of us a lot. And we didn't have a lot. And so if we wanted something, we had to earn money. And I was thinking about it the other day. And I, I think my first business, quote business, I started when I was six years old. And uh, I, start, I went down to the dock and people would um, catch fish and they, they wouldn't want them. And I would ask them if I could take them and they would give them to me. And I would go door to door selling fish for people that wanted fish for dinner. So simple. Yeah, <laughs> it worked out. And, uh, you know, but from then on, my brother and I would just do anything to make money, mow lawns, clean yards, et cetera, et cetera. And it's and, interesting. Uh, you and I have that in common. My first business is when I was eight. And it was called Aardvark Enterprises because uh, I liked the AA in the beginning of Aardvark. I figured I'd be in, in the phone book first. Not that I ever made the phone book. I was eight years old. But I used to do uh, sell cans of Coke and give mas- shoulder massages to counselors in my summer camp. And I made 300 bucks one year when I was nine. The second year was really quite a business. So you and I had that in common. We, we were sort of into the whole premise of business when we were kids. Yeah. So, and resourcefulness. We had to make things happen on our own. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's fun to, to, it's fun to hang out with people like you. That's for damn sure. And you know, what's interesting, Andy, is, is you didn't grow up with your dad, right? No. You know, he was a big part of my life. Uh, talked to him often, got to live with him for a while when my mom shipped me out and saw him in the summers. But, uh, but no, yeah. um, he, you- uh, he was in the Navy and traveled all over and, and, uh, you know, but, but, you know, he, he did a good job of, of taking care of us from afar. But his lack of physical presence, in a way, helped teach you to be more resourceful for yourself. You couldn't lean on him day to day physically, so to speak, but you could emotionally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we had to take care of ourselves. Yep. And, and we moved a lot, so we became a very tight family because I didn't go to the same school two years in a row all the way through high school. Matter of fact, I changed schools three times once as a child in the fourth grade. Wow. Um, Do you think that so toughened we up a little? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I started fighting very young because I hated getting teased. As a new kid, we're always getting teased. So I'm not proud of that, but I sure did a lot of fighting when I was young. So it, it, you, you had a spine. So what was your – so you go to college, right? Mm-hmm. You went to college? Uh, the Army. Yeah, I went to the Army first. Mm-hmm. Um, went to college, became an industrial engineer. And um, started working in manufacturing and did a lot of different manufacturing jobs from from heavy rail and, you know, in a union environment to uh, um, collating and, you know, paper printing and and data and uh, electronic warfare. So had a bunch of different, you know, engineering type jobs and and went into leadership as well into these companies. So. I uh, got a lot of business experience between my failed businesses that I would start because I continued my entrepreneurial uh, desires. Even when you were an employee. So, yeah. So, yeah. so at what point did you say to yourself, I'm going to go into my own business and, and leave my job? Because that's a big step. That's a chance. When did you do that? Did you do that before Medicine Man or was it Medicine Man that caused you to do that? No, I had done that before with a business, although I wasn't voluntary. I had gotten laid off from a job, and and um, so I started a business and, and you know ended up failing at that. But uh, with with Medicine Man, it was the first one that that it was successful, and it is. It's a leap of faith. 
It's very difficult to do. Matter of fact, when I started Medicine Man, uh, it was December of 2009, and I told my now ex-wife, but wife at the time, uh, that I was going to do that, and she just started crying and and saying, "Don't do it. You have a good job. You have benefits. <laughs> Don't do it." Yeah, um, that's a very I, common argument, though. People are scared to start a new business. But you know, it's fascinating. Last year, actually two years ago, we had about seven hundred and twenty thousand small businesses start in America. Last mm-hmm. quarter, last quarter, we had eight hundred and seventy-nine thousand. So wow. new business starts, new small business starts in America are up. You ready? 79%. How cool is that, Andy? Oh, that's wonderful. So, it is the most wonderful life. Oh, isn't it? So, yeah. so in 09, when you started Medicine Man, was not the best of economic times, right? Yeah, right. So you were taking a chance. It was a brand new industry. Yep. You used family money to open it, right? That's correct. My mother. So, so can you imagine this? And Casey, my producer, is sitting here with me. Could you imagine, Casey, you're going to go to your mom and say, Mom, I want to borrow family money. I'm going into the pot business. Tell me about that conversation, Andy. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. So the Ogden Memorandum came out in October of 2009. And, uh, you know, I had, I thought, the business sense. And my brother uh, had been growing marijuana in his basement as a caregiver under the Colorado Constitution. And was he's a great inventor and, and uh, ended up being a phenomenal grower. And so I went to him and I said, let's, let's go big with this. He said, okay. And so I put a business plan together and we went to my mother's house and she had married a gentleman not to, you know, she hadn't been married that long and, and he had, he had some money. And, and, uh, so we presented this business plan, but first we had to break the news that one, my brother Pete smoked marijuana because she had, <laughs> <laughs> even though he'd been doing it since he was a teenager, I think. And then two, he grew it in this house as a caregiver. And even though she'd been over there, she was kind of clueless that he was doing that. Um, and then we had to say, and we want you to invest in this great new business. Um, that's not federally legal, but, uh, we think it's going to be great. And, and she admits now, she says, I had no idea what you were talking about. I just wanted to support my sons. Ah, so no matter (laughs) what you presented, she would have done it. Yeah, that's right. Wow. So this was what's amazing. So your mom has what role in the company now? Well, we gave her a C-level position. She is the chief money counter, the CMC. Yeah, so she's just CMC. That's a great title. <laughs> <laughs> so so your mom works in a company. If I'm not mistaken, you have cousins and other family members that work in a company as well? Yeah, we have eight family members there now, including my mother, my sister, my brother, um, niece, you know, my brother's kids, uh, nephews, uh, et cetera. Okay, so you, you go to college for uh, en- manufacturing engineering. Was that the name of the degree? or? It is somewhat. It's yep. called industrial engineering. Yep. Okay, industrial engineering. Now you're going to design Medicine Man. Yeah. So, so now you're really designing a cultivation facility. This is sort of new, right? New lighting, new technologies. Oh, and John, look, look, yeah. I saw what you built, buddy. Nobody can do better. So now you take your family money. You start to put together a budget to build something you've never built before. And honestly, nobody else has really built it before either. So you don't even have a lot of historical data to go on as far right. as a cultivating costs and equipment costs and all of that. So how did you pull it all together and, and get your budgets? And how long did it take? Talk about that organization a little bit, Andy. Yeah, that was very difficult. Um, my brother knew how to grow in his basement really, really well. Um, so when we first started, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money. We started with $150,000. Um, and, and so, 
we called my cousin Frankie and said, and he was a construction guy and said, why don't you come out and help us? He said, okay. And so our first building inside of a warehouse that was not air conditioned was sticks and plastic. And, um, and as we were getting our license, my brother had grown uh, as many plants as he could in his house and they were pretty big. We transferred them to the new facility and we quickly learned that growing in a basement and growing in an industrial setting uh, are two different animals. As, as a matter of fact, we almost lost our first crop that would have cost our business. Um, I was I was still at my job. I hadn't quite quit work yet. And Pete called me up and said, Andy, all of our plants are going to die. Um, they have what's called pythia or root rot. And I said, well, what can we do? He said, the only thing we can do is transplant them into soil and clean them up in the process. So me, Frank and Pete spent all night cleaning these plants and, you know, we scrape off the rotted root and dump them into a hydrogen peroxide solution and replant them in the wow. soil. And, uh, and if it was like a trauma, it was like a trauma station. It was. <laughs> and, and, you know, if those plants wouldn't have survived, we would have been out of business. Wow. And, um, but they did and we didn't get an optimal crop, but we got a crop and we're able to go from there. So it, you know, we were blessed being early, entries into this market and uh and the prices at the time um were very forgiving so we had very great margins and and when we made mistakes we could overcome them because of those margins and we had to learn some extraordinarily expensive lessons over the years to get to the point where we are today i bet so i've seen and toured your facilities uh uh, uh and i'm looking forward to seeing the new one when i come out next trip buddy but oh, yeah what is the asset value of your facilities now, like your grow facility, the big one that I've seen? What is the yeah. value of that building now? Well, we just had that valued at $9.6 million. So the facility is worth $9.6 million from a $150,000 original investment. That's right, yeah. And you know what always impressed me about you when I, when I first met you, Andy? What's is that? that all the money you were making, you were putting back into the business. Yeah, we you, still do. You you weren't making much money. You, you could have pulled out a, a a shitload of cash if you wanted to, but you didn't. Yep. You, you 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 kept your lifestyle modest. You kept rolling your money back into the company. You kept your family around you. You did this in a way that 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 I have great respect for. And you reinvested, 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 developed an incredible reputation for yourself. Now you are the leading expert on a cannabis industry. You've been featured in New York Times, Rolling Stone, CNN, Wall Street Journal, BBC, the MSNBC docuseries Pot Barons. You are one of the industry's most vocal and most influential leaders. And... and You've gone about it so responsibly. And, and you know, what What are the, the, the pitfalls? Did you run out of money along the way? Did you have to get more money? Talk to that young entrepreneur who's thinking of starting a business or is trying to raise some money today. What is the kind of advice that you could give him after your experience, Andy? Yeah, you know, when I first, when we first started, it was $150,000. And we had to go back to my mother and her husband, Lou, multiple times before we turned a profit, before we went black. Um, we ended up borrowing $630,000 before we were self-sustaining. Wow. And, and they, you know, of course, every time would be like, this is it, right? This is it. We'd say, yeah, this is it. This is going to do it. And so um, things are always more expensive and take more time than you anticipate. Um, and then 
you know, the other thing about that is I always, I, you know, raising money is a very difficult task. It takes a lot of time. And um, when I first started doing it, and I was successful finally uh, in 2013, raising a little money to, to do an expansion, um, I thought, wow, as soon as I get this done, I could be done raising money, and then I go on. But the thing about that is if you're stale in a business, if you just sit on your laurels and say, okay, I'm going to ride this now and, and bank some of this cash, um, you're just setting yourself up for failure because your competition isn't doing that. You always have to be innovating and always have to be improving in order to stay in the lead, which also means you're pretty much always in money raising mode. And, um, and you just have to fit it into the other things that you have to do as well. Um, it doesn't stop. And if you stop to take a breather, people are going to race by you. Especially in your business because everybody's trying to get in ahead. It, it, it's, it's a sprint right now, isn't it? It is. We're we're in a very interesting phase of this industry's evolution. You have Canada that's now legal or will be very soon. Um, and a lot of investment money is going up there. And the roll-up is starting. And even the Canadian companies are coming down to the United States looking for targets for roll-up where they can. Um, and as soon as, and I think, I predict next year, the States Act will pass, which will um, make the marijuana issue truly a federalist issue, meaning states will have the rights to to determine whether or not they want cannabis grown in their states without uh, interruption from the federal government, just like alcohol and gaming and things like that. Right. And when that happens, banking gets fixed and our tax issue 280E, which we could go into if you're interested, gets fixed. And, and then uh, public company ownership will also be something that's an option in many states where it's not right now. And so you're going to see a big roll up in the United States, even more so that's already going on because people are preparing for that. Um, this is going to go from a mom and pop industry to to one that has you know bigger companies and niche companies. So oh, it's, it's going to be gonna, It's going to be a Fortune 500 business. There's no question about it. Absolutely, uh, it will. I've seen projections in just the next few years of about 60 billion in America. Right. Uh, yep, it, it's an amazing thing. There's a lot of people coming over from using alcohol um, that that find it more attractive. You don't get the hangover. You don't have the calories. Um, it's better for you, uh, yeah. arguably, and so the market keeps growing. And look, even Coca-Cola is looking at producing uh, cannabis-infused products. You know, funny story, I have a good friend of mine by the name of uh, Josh Halpern, who was a uh, national accounts manager for a beer company, a brewery, I won't mention a big one. And he cut a deal with a, a national hamburger chain to provide them with beer for beer batter fries. Huh. And, and, and you wouldn't think so much, but they did about 300,000 cases a year selling beer for beer-battered fries. So wow. you wonder the company that provides cannabis to Coca-Cola is probably going to have a heck of a contract, no different than a guy providing <laughs> hamburger patties to McDonald's, right? So, You're absolutely so, right. So That's going to be huge. There's going to be a whole supply side of the cannabis industry supplying to people that are producing other types of products. So, you know, I think there's so many opportunities that haven't exploded yet. But you know what I love about what you, what you guys do, Andy, is, you know, most people think of the cannabis business that, you know, all you're doing is growing, you know, cannabis and all you're doing is working on strains of cannabis. You've taken a premise of pharmaceutical cannabis to a whole new level. And you have a new company. It's what is it? A phytopharmaceutical company? Is that the right exactly. way to Exactly. That's right. A phytopharmaceutical company called MedFarm. And you're investing heavily into pharmaceutical cannabis research. Explain to me the difference between pharmaceutical grade cannabis and cannabis. 
Oh boy. This is the thing. I just, I get chills. I just got chills thinking about this company. Um, you know, right now, since 1968, there's been very little research on cannabis. Uh, and, and the research that's been done since 1968 um, has had to go to, to get their cannabis. They've had to get it from the University of Mississippi. And recently, that cannabis has been tested and it's full of mold and mildews. And, and when, when these researchers order it, because I, I know some of the researchers, they don't get what they're asking for. They get what they get. You know, they get their, you know, it, you can ask for a, a green Mercedes, but you're going to get a black Ford Model T. Mm -hmm. And that's all they offer. And, um, and so the research that's been done has been pretty minuscule. And 85% of it has been what's bad about cannabis because it's funded by NIDA. Yeah. Right, and controlled by NIDA. And so there is so much low-hanging fruit in the cannabis plant in terms of medicine. And, and a goal for this company of mine is that one of our employees wins the Nobel Prize for medicine one day because it's it's so impactful on, on, on people's lives from epilepsy and, and so many other conditions that, uh, you know, when this hits, you know, when this gets the science behind it, um, and, and goes through the FDA like the others, it's, it will win those Nobel Prize. Because every day I get to go to work thinking I'm going to help humankind, which is friggin' fun. That's pretty incredible. Um, so, so, so let me, to really answer your question directly, this facility uh, is a GMP compliant facility or certified now. Um, we, we do, we control everything from cultivation to extraction, formulation and dosage form creation. Um, and we sell products on the traditional markets, but we also do research. So, um, you know, we're, we're working in, in, uh, in, in unison with some, uh, clinical researchers here in Colorado. Uh, we're actually about to pen a deal with a university on the East coast that everybody would know, uh, to do some research and some of the stuff we've been working on, including a brain health um, pill is, is showing some pretty great results in terms of dementia and Alzheimer's. So the stuff we're working on is, is so exciting, John. I, I can't tell you. Yeah, it really is. And the reason why this is happening is because of you, Andy. Fact of the matter is a lot of people are very comfortable growing their cannabis, selling their cannabis, creating their oils and selling their oils. You are committed to creating a very special industry. And it's, it's, you're, you're, Answering to a higher calling, buddy. I mean, you're really trying to do something for humanity. And when you walk through your facilities and you see the cleanliness and the training of the employees and your commitment to responsibility, you know, I, I, I'm proud to call you my friend. And, you know, I think that you are the example for the cannabis industry. But you're also a great example for entrepreneurs, Andy. You know, the way you went into it, an uncharted waters in a new industry, took a risk, rest family money kept reinvesting and reinvesting from a $600,000 borrowing to a $9 million facility, how you're in the retail space, the manufacturing space, the cultivating space. Buddy, it's, it's a great company. But, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the other side of the stuff that you do. You know, you give a lot of support to students for sensible drug policy and other industry organizations that do good and keep use responsible. And you serve as co-founder and director of the Medicine Man Family Foundation, and you're giving money back to the community and stuff. And, you know, those are the things that as business people, you know, we should be most proud of. So you're a good guy, buddy. And, oh, and, thanks, John. And, and uh, anybody who hasn't been to a medicine man facility in Colorado should do that. And do you ever offer tours to people? Yeah, yeah. The uh, 
there's uh, a tour company um, called uh, the Cannabis Tours in Colorado. Uh, and every, I think, Friday and Saturday, they come through our facility. And my brother leads a tour. And he is an exceptional tour guide. I got to tell you that. Yeah, he is. I'll uh, vouch for that. He took me on one. Yeah, Colorado Cannabis Tours. That's what it's called. Great. Well, and, yeah, have- he gets into the science of, of growing a plant. And he's fun to listen to. Well, nobody knows how sophisticated your facilities are from water filtration to light regulation to the white coats to the rolling vestibules that go in front of doors so the light doesn't go in when you open the door to you know, everything. <laughs> it is remarkable. So anybody who's curious to really see you know, what a really well-run operation is in a new innovative industry, uh, uh, you really got to check out Medicine Man in Denver. And uh, Andy, this has been a pleasure, buddy. And I think I'm coming to see you next week. I can't wait to see you. You're gonna you're gonna love what you see in this new facility, John. I can't wait, buddy. So so uh, this was a great talk, and I think there's some takeaway here. Don't you agree, KC? I think so. Yeah. So so all of us, you know, guys, we we can't be scared. We got to take those risks, and if we don't take the risk, we never move forward. You know, years ago, Andy, I was a bartender at a place called Barney's Beanery on Hollywood, California, and I made about seven hundred bucks a week as a, as a bartender. And the owner comes up to me after about a year and says to me, "Hey, John, you want to be manager?" I said, "Oh, awesome!" He says, two twenty-five a week. So now I'm going down from seven hundred cash tips as a bartender to two twenty-five a week with taxes removed from it. And you know, had I not done that, I wouldn't be talking to you today. There you go. And had you not had the courage to overcome fears and risk your family dollars, uh, uh, you wouldn't be where you are today either, buddy. So there's something to be said for taking risk in a managed way, uh, uh, investing back into your business, and most of all to invest in ourselves. And that's what you did, buddy. I can't agree more, John. Yep. I can't agree more. I wouldn't do it any other way. Thanks, Andy. And we're taking a quick pause for thanks to our sponsor. Casey, how many sources do you have for TV content these days? Um, John, I've had like three or four, probably. Three or four. And you pay for each one, each right? Each one, yeah. And it adds up. And then you want to watch something, but one doesn't have it, so you got to go to the other. You got to figure out where it is. I have a car payment right now. It's just TV. It's just TV. So I'm really <laughs> unbelievable. It. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You don't even pay for it. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, completely free. They never ask for a credit card, and you don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Think about that. Free. Free. Absolutely free. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. And think about it. 100 channels, thousands of movies, on demand, no check, no credit card. Pluto TV. You know, to me, when I have somebody on uh, my podcast, if there isn't a takeaway, there's no point. You know, the whole point of everything that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, to help us all grow. Yeah. You know, and, and every time we talk, we grow. Yeah. What, and, what a great guy. Awesome guy. And a, a great integrity. You know, the way he went about this business, he did it in such a first-class way. With real respect, this is not a pothead. No. Uh, no. You know, growing weed somewhere. This is this is an engineer yeah. Yeah. producing an industry in, in a manufacturing, cultivating environment, and they have safety regulate. I mean, it is an unbelievable facility. When you're in Denver, you got to see a KC. But you know what? I think the big lessons for Mandy is, one, you got to believe in yourself. 
If you don't believe in yourself, you're never going to take those risks, and fear is going to hold you back. I think the second lesson for Mandy is you don't pull all the money out when you make it. You put it back in. And, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, I'm rich now. I'm going to pull out all that cash and go party. But, you know, it, it's it's about tomorrow, too. So he reinvested and reinvested and took his 600000 up to $9 million in asset value. He took his company public, created the pharmaceutical company. Most important is Andy has passion. He's trying to create something that will help humanity yeah. and help the world. That's a great calling. I think so, yeah. I, in my small way, think the same, believe it or not. And I really believe that Bar Rescue is now seen in about 3,400 television channels in four languages around the world. No way. And I think to myself, how many small business people watch those shows and learn something that they don't even realize that one little thing might save them from going out of business and such. And I receive a lot of emails. So, you know, to me, Bar Rescue isn't about TV. It's about leaving people with something that makes us all a little better. Yeah. That poor guy that invested in his business, we want him to be successful. Yeah. And how about Andy's mom? Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. And, she, and I bet her she's a cool lady, and his brother is incredible, too. But, you know, it's a family operation, but it's world class. And if anybody's ever in Colorado, taking that tour would be a blast. I think it's a lot of fun. So Andy's got me pumped. I'm all about success and stuff now. So, Casey, you Shut told me you got down. some great callers this week. John, we've got some great ones. And I'm actually here. Shut we've got uh, Joseph from Hayward, California on the line. Now, Joseph has a big opportunity and a big transition to go into a new field in the tech industry. Mm. And what's your advice? Okay, Joseph, how are you, buddy? Nice to talk. Hey, John, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. What's going on? Uh, you're doing yeah, yeah. So I've been in the tech industry for several years now and uh, had a good career. But now I'm considering again, you know, what's that proverbial next step? And you know, always have loved the hospitality industry. And an opportunity I've been thinking about is investing in a franchise. Um, at this point, it's kind of just at the concepts uh, stage um, with where I am personally with it. But just want to kind of get your take uh, um, on this um, in the sense of you know what risks should I be thinking about and um, and where might be a good place to start in terms of resources and um, before I go into this. Sure. You know, uh, let's first uh, talk about franchises for a moment. There's two types of franchises in a very broad stroke. There's what we call turnkey franchises and brand franchises. A turnkey franchise gives you every procedure, every product, every system, every technology. They give you a turnkey operation right down to how you train, how you do everything. So the premise of a turnkey operation is they'll put you into a business that you know nothing about. They'll train your people how to do it, and you're buying a turnkey operation. The other type of franchise tends to be more of a brand-oriented franchise. Now, the first turnkey franchise in America, a really popular one, was McDonald's. And the premise of McDonald's is you could go into the food business with 16-year-old high school kids. You didn't need a chef. You didn't need any kind of training. They were the first real turnkey franchise. Then it became a brand franchise because, you know, the brand is now so powerful that you go there. So when you take a look at franchises, Joe, you want to look at two things. One, you want to do a turnkey franchise. You want all the policies, procedures, training, all that to be a part of it because you're going into a new business. The question becomes how much of a brand franchise can you buy? Now, if you buy a McDonald's or a Subway, People are going to inherently come because you have a sign that's recognizable and a brand that they know, and there's national advertising and such behind it. So you're buying a branded franchise. If you were to buy another franchise like IM Burgers or, or you know, a smaller unknown franchise that doesn't have national advertising, then you're buying a turnkey without a brand. 
That means even though it is a brand, but it's, it's a brand nobody knows about. So now you've got to market this. You have to brand it in your own market. Yeah. You've got to create its identity. There's a lot of work that you need to do to build the brand so that the turnkey operation will become profitable for you. Because in the restaurant or franchise business, everything is revenue-based, right? You got to – every problem expense side is cured by revenue. So – if you're new in a space, based upon the size of your town, you want to look at how much of a brand do you need. Now, there's a lot of tricks to opening concepts that will bring a lot of attention. One thing that I do is when I open new restaurants and bars, I wrap the entire building in white sheets. I put top secret on it. I put an armed guard in front, and I have the marketplace talk about it. What's he building? What's he building? If I tell you, i got to kill you. And you really have fun, and you can build a lot of market curiosity. So you can market and pack a brand that is unknown if you do it well. But just understand the difference, Joe. You want to buy a turnkey franchise, but if the brand isn't strong enough, you got to allocate dollars to market and build that brand in your market. And sometimes franchisors don't emphasize that enough, that separate of their marketing efforts, you have to do your own. What kind of franchise? Is that helpful to you? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, if anything, I'm kind of leaning towards like the fast casual yep. uh, area. I think that's um, you know, certainly what I enjoy and um, have a little bit of experience way back when, uh, you know, from the service side. Um, well, fast casual is a hot category now. Uh, even in millennials, fast casual is up about 25%. And what's happening in millennials is many of them can't afford fast casual. Uh, they really can only afford fast food or QSR, which is quick service restaurants, as we call them in the industry. So they'll spend sometimes up to 50% more in a fast casual because they want the ego. They want the brand. They want the quality expectation or the organics or, or you know, the responsible dining or whatever is connected to it. So that's a really hot sector. Uh, now you want to take a look at your development costs, brand to brand, right? Which one's going to cost you the most to get in? You want to take a look at what kind of discounts or considerations they'll give you on first-year franchise fees. You also want to take a look at what kind of financing packages they have in place. If you buy their franchise, many of them have bankers that have signed off on their brand, so they're more inclined to give you financing. Sometimes they'll give you financing on their own and co-sign it for you. So remember, franchise fees are negotiable. (laughs) You can get incentives to go in on first year. Uh, 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 financing is a key element, but it's easier to finance a franchise than it is a non-franchise, right, than Joe's Restaurant. A- and really, uh, uh, the last thing I would leave you with, Joe, is, you know, franchise businesses have about a, a, a 50%, that's about 60%, greater chance of success than a non-branded independent. So you have a much greater chance for success. But in many franchise operations, the franchise doesn't fail. The owner runs out of money before the franchise succeeds. So make sure you have enough money for a few extra months, Joe, especially because it's your first time in the business. You might lose some money the first month or two. It might take you 90 days, 120 days to get your stride. And you want to have enough money in a bank so that you can cover some of the mistakes and cover it if it takes you an extra month or so to find your profitability. That insurance of extra resources will mean a lot. Uh, as you massage the business and turn it into what it needs to be. That's great. Yeah, and I think that was the other thing I was curious about was you know a return on this big investment, um, and at the risk of overgeneralizing, I mean, is this something that in general you know franchise operators uh, you know, tend to see a you know return within the first year, or is you know even longer than that? Well, you should you should start to see cash flow in ninety to one hundred and twenty days. Investment no yeah. investment should be paid off in two to three years. 
right? And the reason why is, you know, you're going to get a five, six, seven-year run out of it before you have to remodel it and stuff. So you don't want a five-year payback. By the time you pay it back, you got to remodel it. You want a two- to three-year payback so you can get two or three good years without any cost associated with it before you invest into it again. It was wonderful, John. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, again, I'm just kind of getting my foot in the door here, but this is uh, already some good information that you've guided me towards. And, and let me leave you uh, with really one last thing. It. Let me leave you with one last thing. About two years ago, there were 720,000 new businesses that opened in America, small businesses. This last quarter, there's been 879,000. This is boomtown, buddy. This is a great time. Consumer yeah. confidence is up. Business confidence is up. Retail sales are up. This is a great time to start a new business. So I'm wishing you the best of luck. Let me know how you do. Yeah, I appreciate it. You'll be the first one I invite. <laughs> great. Take care. You know, you know what's funny is that um, you talk about the, the wrapping the building up. Yeah. So Dunkin' Donuts by my house just uh, just opened up, and they wrapped their building in this giant orange tape. And each day it said five days Dunkin' Donuts, four days Dunkin' Donuts. And who do you think? <laughs> and who do you think they got that from? <laughs> so when I owned the Neighborhood Marketing Institute in Florida, Dunkin' Donuts was owned by a company named Ally Demek. And Ally Demek hired my company. And the problem is that they were selling franchises to what they called New Americans, mm-hmm. immigrants. And they didn't have marketing dollars, nor did they understand the U.S. marketplace. So they were failing. And Dunkin' Donuts hired our company to create marketing and promotional programs that would increase their revenue the first 90 days that they're open. And we didn't have any money. The franchisee didn't have any money. So this had to be something that was inexpensive to do and would create a very high-profile and noticeable thing. And we created two programs for them. One was the unveiling program, which is the one that you're looking at, and that's what we called it. And the other one was called positive picketing where we would picket in front of uh, a Dunkin' Donuts restaurant with picket signs that said donuts too fresh, (laughs) restrooms too clean, prices unfair to competition. (laughs) And it was all to get noticed because I can't get your wallet, Casey, until I get your eyes first, your body second, and your wallet third. And it all starts by me pulling your eyes, buddy. I, I never ate Dunkin' Donuts, and I went there three days later after it opened, just to go see what it was about. Well, you probably would not have walked into no. that Dunkin' Donuts no. that day had it not been for me, buddy. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> hey, John, we've got Eric from Wilmington, North Carolina, who's in a hotel room because of the hurricanes right now. Uh, but he's had time to think, and he wants to create a new position with the job he's currently at. doesn't exist, uh, and he wants tips on what he should include in a proposal. Well, first of all, how are you doing with the hurricane? Eric, you okay? I'm doing, I'm doing fine, Mr. Tapper. Doing very well. Uh, we uh, got some updates from home, and fortunately, we came out uh, on the good side of things. Just a few shingles off the roof, and a little bit of water in the backyard, and uh, a pine tree that was already dead finally saw its demise, but it went away from the house when it fell. So uh, we're, we're counting our blessings. We're very lucky, but uh, sitting about 500 miles away from home in a hotel room is not the way I'd, I'd rather be. Uh, getting things uh, done. No, I, I can relate. I was down in Florida, lived down in Florida for, for Jean, which devastated where we were living in Palm Beach. And I feel for you, my friend. It's it's a very, very difficult period. I'm glad to hear your house isn't flooded and that you've skated through. But, you know, the disruption, the expense, the problems, people don't realize how devastating this is. And, you know, we watch it for a day on TV, but you'll be dealing with this for weeks, if not months. And it's powerful. Yes, yes, so, sir. so our thoughts and our prayers are with you and your neighbors. And, you know, I hope that everybody fares as well as you have. We, uh, we're, we're lucky. Um, my boss, who lives not too far away from me, 
uh, went over to the house yesterday, so we were able to see firsthand uh, through the phone uh, what it looked like. So uh, we're lucky. Um, we've been away for about a week, and uh, we're going to be here through the end of the week. Uh, my wife works from home, but her actual office is up here, so that's why we made the decision to come all the way up here. Uh, Got to make money still somehow, and, uh, you know, so I'm hanging out in the babysitter for the dog and <laughs> she's, she's working hard and I'm doing what I can, but, uh, you know, we're, we're doing okay. And I appreciate the thoughts and, and we're going to survive. We're going to get through this. We're, we're, uh, we're strong and we're stubborn and we're not going to let Florence, uh, get, get in our way. Yeah. Well, that strength and that stubbornness is a great asset for you right now. So you've had some reflective time while you're sitting in this hotel room, I understand. You know, I have, and, uh, it's actually been a little bit more and, the, the proposal that I'm talking about is with a different company. It's not the one that I'm working for. Um, it's a company that I've it's a company or, that I've worked for before uh, early in my career, and uh, you know, just talking to somebody about a month ago got me thinking about this again. And uh, so I, I sat down and I put some things on paper, and uh, I'm waiting for the connection to be made between me and the and the higher ups at that company. But um, my biggest question to you is as it relates to, do I give all the potential details of what this would entail in terms of financials and things of that nature, or do I let them be interested first and then talk about what it would take and what the financials would take and, and things of that nature? Well, let, let me first ask you, is it a sales-oriented position, a administrative-oriented no, position? What type of position? communication position. Okay, so it's a communications position, and will that communications position, what will it impact in a company? Will it impact revenue, expenses, customer service? What is the benefit uh, uh, that I think it, it would I think it would be more of fan engagement, fan information, um, customer service to a certain degree because it is there is some web-oriented uh, uh, parts to it. Um, it's, so, uh, I don't think it's driven towards sales necessarily, but there are bits and pieces that could potentially lend themselves in terms of things like social media and, and sponsorships and, and and some other ins and outs. So, so when I do presentations like this, I always try to do three key things. First is make a big fat claim. And if you make a big fat claim, like if I said to you, you know, my hamburger is the best you've ever had in life, then uh, you're going to lift your eyebrows, you're going to perk up, and you're going to say, oh, yeah? And then you're going to want to say, you're going to want to prove me right or wrong. The premise of big fat claims is, is one that's used in sales and presentations all the time to get curiosity. So I would sit down, first of all, and I would think, what are the biggest benefits that this could possibly provide? Great. What is the benefit of more fan engagement? What does it mean to revenue? What does it mean to the growth of one's universe? And, and, you know, last week I had Dave Portnoy on my podcast, who's the president of Barstool Sports, and he said to me, you know, as long as you have eyeballs, you can make money. So what is the power of eyeballs? So I would take a look at the benefits that you're providing and start with a big, fat claim. Gentlemen, today I'm going to present you with a program that will accomplish this, 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 and this. Are you interested? And you haven't told them what the program is. You haven't told them the the details. You've just told them that this, I am going to present something to you today that will accomplish this, 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 and this. And have them be pretty big claims as far as you can comfortably push it, knowing that you can deliver. 
Now you're going to get them to sit up in their seats and say, yeah, I am interested in those four things or those three things. Yep, you got my attention. Now you, from that big fat claim and saying, gentlemen, I'm going to do this, this, this. Are you interested? Yes. Let me show you some of the ways that I can accomplish it. And I'm going to be honest with you today. I'm not going to show you all the ways until I know we're doing business together. But I'm going to show you enough so that you know I know what I'm doing. And I'm not going to show you anymore. And be honest with them. And then show them enough that makes them believe that you can actually probably achieve those three or four big claims that you earlier made. Now, what is the purpose of this meeting? The purpose of this meeting is to put you in a, in a, in a place where you can negotiate a business deal, correct? That's the purpose of the meeting. So, yes. so in order to negotiate that business deal, you're probably going to need them to have you. Uh, uh, you're going to need them to sign a non-disclosure agreement, right? Because you're not going to show them your ideas until they sign the document that says they're not going to steal them. Fair. So, fair. I'm not going to sign a non-disclosure agreement with you. No way until I know you got something I want to listen to. So, you give them the big fat claim. Gentlemen, if I can do this, this, and this for you, would you be interested? Yes, I would be. Let me show you some of the ways that I can accomplish it because I want you to know that I'm real and that I can deliver. I'll show them those two or three things and say, gentlemen, I've showed you what I can do. You've showed me that you're interested. I've shown you some of the ways that I can do it. You now understand that I can do this. Our next step is to sign a non-disclosure confidentiality agreement so I know that we're interested in doing business together, and then I'll show you everything. And you want to walk out there with only, out of that meeting with only one thing. You're probably not going to walk out with a deal. You want to walk out with two things, them looking at you and saying, I want to talk about a deal, and I'll sign a confidentiality agreement so that we can. If you accomplish those two things in that first meeting, buddy, you did great. Get the non-disclosure agreement done. You can find those online or, or from legal services, simple. And all it says is, you know, you're giving them trade secrets and they respect them as yours and they won't circumvent you and do it on their own. And then go in after that NDA is sold and then you're in deal-making mode. Then you can show them everything. Does that make sense? Makes sense. I think, you know, this is something like, it's not me trying to be a freelancer, but it's me trying to work for that company. So I think it might be a little bit different in that I've worked for this company before in in a similar type of position. And then I left and it's changed. And, and, and now it's, you know, it's getting to be the point where some of this stuff, you know, they're getting for some certain milestones. And I think it's important to, to get to that. Um, you know, my, my, possibility with this jumping back in with the company and you know um you know seeing how to move it forward especially when i was working for them originally twitter didn't exist facebook was just coming out instagram didn't exist websites were still trying to be figured out it was i wouldn't say the social media and, and electronic world was was non-existent but it was in its infancy so now i feel like they need somebody who can do that. But, of course, I want to be able to do it from North Carolina and not have to move 
right. to the company office. Well, that's the beautiful thing about the, about the electronic world that we live in today is you can do that. I still wouldn't change what I said too much other than the non-disclosure agreement. I'd still go in. I'd sell, I'd sell the big fat claim. I want to do this, this, and this for the company. Will it make a difference for you if I do? Yes. These are the ways that I will do it. You've invested in me before. I've worked for you before. Now I have much more experience. Now we have a new world. Let's take the trust that we had together before and let's apply them with new technologies in, in a new world. I would probably present it that way. That, that sounds dead on. Anyway, good luck, buddy. Good luck with the position and good luck with the hurricane. I hope you're home soon. Thanks. Can you tell Florence to uh, shut it down and, and get out of here? Yeah, Florence, shut it down. Get the hell out of there. <laughs> Let this poor guy, Eric, go home. Take care, buddy. I love doing this podcast because I love talking to you. That's my favorite part of doing this. And honestly, that's why I do it. So please send me an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. Let me know what you want to talk about and we'll talk about it together and we can share the story with others and maybe inspire them. This was a great episode. I love talking to all my callers. Make sure you go to Apple Podcast or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app. Subscribe and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. I'll talk to you then. Take care. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for the same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new car or a used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience.